but that's not real is probably the easiest way to incite fury in nerds the world over. Since the first time we crawled out of the ocean and joined the rest of humanity with our highly specific takes on very specific topics, we've often been faced with this very damning comment. But as the world slowly becomes more and more of a dumpster fire, people turn to us, the nerds, tell them stories of literally anything but right here and now. And if you've been around fiction for any part of, say, the last 20 years, the desire for realism and the nitpicking of, is that realistic, has become stronger and stronger, as you can often see, more and more militant. But was realism really? And what does that mean in relation to its cousin, believability? Today we talk about it in this foundational episode of Why Aren't You Talking About This? Nerd Edition. Welcome to Why Aren't You Talking About This Nerd, a.k.a. Waitat Nerd, and I am your host, William. I want to thank you so much for listening to the first episode. Uh, if you're coming over from Waitat, thank you so much for checking out even more of my rambling and dick jokes. It means the world that you've listened to it twice as much. If you're new and have no idea what the fuck I'm talking about, check out my other show too. What the fuck are you doing not listening to all of my stuff? Uh, this is usually a part of the show where I'd give you updates, tell you important announcements and correction emails that can't wait, or otherwise give you some info related to the show. But because it's the first episode and I'm recording in batches, I won't say anything about your emails for a while. But I bet you're asking how this works. Well, I can simply put, like my other show, but just in case you're new, here we go. Each episode, I'll be picking a nerdy topic either I feel strongly about or that's been doing the rounds on the internet. Then I'll present to you some of the history and information I found on it, some general opinions and beliefs around it, and then I'll tell you what I think. Now, unlike the other show, there's more on the line for me here. Because I am a full-on nerd. If you know the nerd Dungeon Master look, you basically know what I look like. Beard, glasses, longest hair, and chubby. I've been a nerd for as long as I can remember, and have cut my teeth on Warhammer, D&D, superheroes, and video games for literal decades. I am also a chronic writer, creating entire worlds and massive stories, but never really finishing them. I also have a bachelor's in English literature, so on both a personal and professional level, I have a lot of pride on the line here. I am essentially slapping my mediocre dick on the butcher block, hoping y'all don't have any knives handy. But anyways, on to the episode. <laughs> Alright, so this first episode isn't particularly what I would consider the spiciest nerd topic there is. I mean, that's in future episodes. Instead, what I wanted to do is take a moment and establish one of the pillars of this podcast, and really, fiction as a whole. Realism and believability. These two terms get confused a whole lot, and more often than not, also get confused for good. 
or even worse, one will get classified as good while the other gets called bad. So what are they? Believability, by the dictionary definition, is the quality of being convincing or realistic. But more literary definition, believability, or verisimilitude if you're kinky, is the trust your audience has that your story is true and that you're both a good and credible narrator of the story. What this means in the wider sense is that your story has an internal consistency, that you're upholding their suspension of disbelief by following the rules. Either the ones you've established or the ones that would be reasonable to exist in a world that you've written. Believability makes a world feel authentic and makes you sound honest and truthful as the narrator because you're willing to bend the narrative to expectations. Now, this is a very, very loose concept, and not just because it's been hallwayed by premarital sex or because no one talks about it, but because literally every story meant to entertain does this. I think about it, when you read something, you're drawn into that reality, right? Well, that's because it's believable. Your brain becomes interested and invested because our little horny monkey brains love to be told things by people we respect and trust. I mean, sometimes by people we don't, you know, like when you listen to my podcast. There are two types of believability, uh, cultural and generic. Cultural believability is that the story makes sense for what we understand as a reality. So, for example, if you're American, a modern story without someone being threatened with a gun or their rights as a minority being taken away is inherently unbelievable as it doesn't match our day-to-day reality. I'm only barely kidding. A more reasonable example would be gravity or someone buying something. Gravity is a fundamental force of nature. We can't imagine a story without it. Buying something is more culturally relevant to Americans and bonus points because how they buy that thing also gives us some world building. As an American viewer of a story, it's hard to relate when there isn't even the -the through-the-door smell of commerce. This cultural believability is generally the safest way to go because if you understand who your audience is, it's really fucking easy to draw them in. For example, with Squid Game, while the show is meant for a South Korean audience because of runaway debt and a general feeling of hopelessness, the theme of kill these people for money and throwing a bunch of poor people into a cement box for rich people to twist their nipples to is really, really culturally relevant to Americans. And while it's bonkers that that would ever happen in real life, it was believable because we see a ton of other ways people need to choose a life or money and the rich fucks watching it happen and come in their Calvin Klein's. This kind of believability is also really hard to write fiction without. Because there's almost always going to be things from our real world in fiction. Have an abstract fantasy book? And why do they have swords, you cuck? Oh, this sci-fi doesn't adhere to your daddy's rules? Then why do people walk with their feet instead of teleporting through the 91st layer of crisis stigmatism to get to the next room? See what I mean? Like, there has to be something believable, even a tiny bit to have a story you could even fucking write about with the amount of drugs that would kill you. The other type, generic, isn't the Walmart brand believability. Rather, it's the rules the story plays by to fit in its genre. As an example, while it would break believability of a gritty, dark fantasy setting, to have a hero stand up and get their cheeks clapped and give a five-minute monologue about why they won't give up while their almost-naked but still combat-effective female warrior friend makes surprise faces, it is right at home in Shonen. In Shonen, this makes the story fit the genre and more believable because you excuse how fucking dumb it is in reality because you've already excused it because it lives in the genre. Now, you can actually have the opposite effect as well when you do stuff like mixed genres or overplay into your own genre. Using Shonen as an example, most people 
more into shows like, say, Death Note or one of the many Cry Yourself to Sleep animes are going to watch a shonen play into a genre of tits, fight scene, power friendship, ass, power-up sequences, cheesy intros, five-episode speeches, and even more gratuitous tits and ass, and immediately wonder why the fuck they're watching it. This can even overplay to people that normally enjoy your genre. Because when you overplay to tropes, you break the suspension of disbelief, because people start to realize, oh shit, this isn't a story choice. They're checking trope boxes to get on the listicle they want. On the other hand, mixing genres can be disastrous. Like superhero fiction, grimdark. There's a way to thread the needle, like Alan Moore usually can with stuff like Watchmen. But in superhero fiction, the concessions you have to make to like the genre is just to shut the fuck up about civilian casualties and how's that dude flying and enjoy the spectacle of punching supervillains through skyscrapers being labeled as crime fighting. But Grimdark wants you to consider the pain, toil, and agony of everyday existence in this world. Grimdark is usually a satire, a warning, and or explicitly political. Part of that is twisting everything to be as shitty and amoral as possible. So when you collide that with superhero fiction, where punching can fix social issues and injuries are usually ignored, you can get good stuff. Again, like Watchmen or Super Crooks. But you also get Batflick and The Boys, and that one time Iron Man became Hitler, or the entire goddamn Punisher character. And people like Grimdark hate it because things get too hopeful sometimes, and people like superhero stuff hate it because everyone fucking dies, and no one feels like a hero, and people like me usually hate it because you took a hot steaming dump on a pile of comic books and Warhammer codexes while I watched and had the audacity to ask me to wipe. But, I mean, that's believability. Now, realism in fiction describes a few things. Usually what people mean is adherence to real-world rules, facts, and logic. Here's the thing, though. Well, sure, it's easy to stop there and be like, oh, well, that's realism for you. I really want to shame some of you fucking nerds that want your fiction to be realistic. So I'm going to tell you about the literary realism movement. Hey, 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 stop screaming. It's okay. You don't have to cry. It's only going to hurt a moderate amount. So the realism movement describes the desire in literature to focus primarily, if not entirely, you can stop screaming, on the mundane. This kind of fiction is focused heavily on real life and more on the day-to-day lives of the characters rather than some massive, fantastic journey. Also, these stories are fucking bleak. There's very little embellishment or fancy bells and whistles that make a... Whistles? Uh, that make a story not a downer. Instead, they strip away the romanticizing we do about stuff like medievalism, the world wars, and westerns. Instead, they show us the shitty, gritty, and no more titty reality of the situation. Oh, you thought I could write a fancy adventure story? Well, how the fuck does this fuel society feel about that, Susan? Can that surf girl really take care of a fucking baby, you horny fuck? Huh, Susan? Answer me, Susan. How will her village treat her knowing there's another mouth to feed, Susan? How miserable is she, Susan? How many hours has she been in the field, Susan? Or, oh, so you thought you could have a fucking hero? Well, congratulations, Kevin. You're rooting, shooting cowboys, a fucking racist with syphilis and serious mental illnesses, Kevin. You know why, Kevin? Because he's a fucking confederate. Oh, he's wandering town to town through the desert? What about exposure, Kevin? What about the people in those towns? Why do they want a fucking syphilitic dick confederate with a complex PTSD packing heat into the taverns, Kevin? Anyways, realism isn't that extreme, but I'll share with you the seven components. First are complex characters. People don't have a single motivation, so your character shouldn't either. Sometimes good people do bad things, and bad people do good things. So should your characters. 
I mean, people don't act reasonably, and heroes don't wear capes. Most heroes do things that are nice or stand up for people a handful of times during particularly tragic and stressful moments. Villains rarely consider themselves evil and are usually trying their best or putting their own satisfaction above others, rather than just being straight-up sadists. So should your heroes and villains. Your characters are three-dimensional people that have complicated relationships, personal drama and unresolved issues, conflicting beliefs, and are just, in general, the human equivalent of a bag of flour. And like, sure, they're useful and can be interesting under the right circumstances, or if you really stop to think about it, but no one's going to be excited to see a bag of flour without the right context. Second, realism focuses on the need for people to, you know, work for a living, which makes sense given the background that realism comes from. And when you're trying to share the play of the working poor, it wouldn't make sense that they could skip out of work to go on some high-strung adventure with their friends or go slay a dragon or some shit. Because I have a factory shift tomorrow morning, and also dragons aren't real, and we're too fucking poor to afford to adventure. And also, most of the world's already explored and goddamn dangerous. Why did I risk death to see some shit some other bumblefuck is already farming on when I need to produce 10 million bolts by tomorrow to get sent to the gulag? This focus on realism basically removes the call to adventure. And that's really realistic. I mean, how many times have you skipped being adventurous and asked that pretty girl at work to go to the bar tonight because you both work tomorrow and the outcome, regardless of how good it could be, would be awkward and might involve HR? Third, realism uses internally motivated characters. Other genres of fiction will have some big arch-villain, a recently slaughtered family, a burned village, or otherwise some kind of external catalyst to motivate a character to heroism. But that isn't reality. In reality, we're on the cha-cha slide into apathetic damnation and universal entropy, baby. In reality, you always have work tomorrow. In reality, you always have some bullshit chores to do. In reality, you have adult responsibilities to take care of until you fucking die, and those responsibilities go to someone else. Literally, the only way to make a story where something interesting happens is to make yourself fucking do it. And realistic fiction is based heavily in that. While they might be milquetoast and boring old farts, Every character in realistic fiction has made a choice to do something they don't absolutely have to do. These characters are motivated by their own internal choices and struggles, like reality. Sure, you don't have an exciting life, but it's not like there's a call to adventure to answer. Just get your fat ass off the couch and go walk the Grand Canyon. Boom, an adventure. Or, I mean, maybe not, because fourth is that realism usually has a very small and stark setting. There isn't no Harry Potter hidden world here or a demon from beyond the stars inspired by coke visions. This place is boring as fuck and that's all it is. Realistic fiction usually takes place in the same place for long periods of time. Usually the whole story will revolve around one specific town or apartment or factory. Your characters aren't world travelers and their setting isn't exciting or fantastic. I look outside at the grimy streets that the homeless schizophrenic sleeps on and that right there is your setting. Your workplace, your house, the streets in between rarely, if ever, change. Meaning when you write realistic fiction, your environment really only needs to be described once because it's literally never going to change. Unless it does change, then yeah, describe that. Fifth is the role of society and social pressure. In most other stories, the role of society around the characters tends to be a window dressing at worst and are occasionally mild antagonists of some sort. And while sure... It might be a story point in your hidden vampire world fanfic about your half-human, half-dragon werewolf zombie looking for a dummy mommy that society would judge them, but when Evelyn comes to light, your character just shrugs and go, oh, actually, a lot of people want to fuck me, I guess, and they move on with their day. Or you're a bad writer and they turn back time. And yes, that's a call-out. Fight me. I fucking dare you, you noodly-armed nerd. 
Anyways, in realistic fiction, society and the pressure from it is a whole ass problem. As in, it'll fuck your entire ass. Sorry, I forgot I wrote that. <laughs> I surprise myself sometimes. <laughs> As in, it'll fuck your entire ass. Because humans are social animals in reality, meaning that we care more about how other people think of us and how we think of ourselves. Which means, in turn, that in this genre, most weirdos and oddballs are going to get fucking curbed. So if your hero is one, it's not necessarily about convincing your community to respect you. It's about shaving off those rough edges or accepting yourself where your coworkers smack you in the tail at every opportunity. And in the real world, we call that a moral victory. Sixth is straightforward speech patterns. No weird fantasy writer with a linguistics degree I'm using less of my literature degree writing in dubiously accurate medieval English. And no, William Shakespeare romantic writers writing in quadruple meanings you need a bachelor's degree and a cipher to understand. People just say the words they normally do. For example, instead of saying, Oh, Romeo, Romeo, wherefore art thou Romeo? It'd be, Romeo, get your dick up here in my bedroom. Or if Julia isn't the kind of girl I was into at Romeo's age, where are you at? When you write realistic fiction, if you find yourself trying too hard to be clever, stop being clever and just write what you mean. Because that's how people talk. And finally, is an accurate depiction of human behavior and personalities. Now, while this is more important in all fiction in the modern day, in realistic fiction that still exists, this is more important than even that. And realistic fiction is a direct reaction to the trend of writing oops all stock characters into stories where it's either unnecessary, illogical, or confusing because the stock character is unfamiliar or doesn't make sense to include. Also, it's very common for centuries to have either kind of flat characters that just did what the plot demanded or told the audience out loud exactly what they were thinking. And to pick on Shakespeare again, pour one out for the homie, it's not very realistic that when your friend dies to launch into a soliloquy. Sure, for the time, this was a storytelling convention, especially for plays, but that isn't realistic. I mean, realistically, if your friend was killed in a duel because you wanted to fuck another high schooler with a rich, overprotective dad, you feel pretty fucking terrible and might reasonably silently seek vengeance instead of seeking therapy or turn into a ball of tears and self-hatred instead of turning into the driveway of a therapist's office. Go get therapy, you clowns. But this last piece of realistic fiction is really important to these stories, as most of the time, the main antagonist is the protagonist. Much like in our own lives, the biggest obstacles isn't some dude sitting at a desk wanting to ruin our lives specifically. While sure, the world becoming more and more of a fashion-o-plutarchal nightmare, most of the reason why you feel bad is because your brain tells you to. Most of the reason you don't do something is because you tell yourself not to. So, in order to make a story progress, you need more info on your protagonist than fight sword good, big dumb. Okay, but now that I have that covered, why? Why I just take however long that was to stunt on you like I beat your favorite video game first try? Because, like when your sister pegged my butt, I was making a point. That point being that realism as we think of it today and what it once was aren't the same thing. Realistic fiction is harder to find these days because of that style. What's increasingly in the style is whining that the motherfucking Avengers isn't very realistic. And that's very frustrating because there's a whole ass genre about very realistic stories that seemingly no one wants to read, despite the insistence by the .005% of the population of Earth that feels bent on personally rug-burning my penis to say every story should be realistic. I'll cover more of my gripes and issues later, but for now we're moving on to history.
and we start 1.6 million years ago when the first Homo erectus, nice, turned to another weird-shaped monkey and said some bullshit. No, we aren't starting that far back. That would be fucking stupid. Not because I think the evolution of human storytelling is dumb or boring, but because this is a fucking podcast, not my thesis for a PhD in literature, which is where they're holding the jobs we were promised, or so I'm told. Instead, it's because storytelling is literally a part of being human, and every single story to ever exist has some amount of what's essentially the core reason why we find stories interesting. So today we're going to talk primarily about the history of realistic fiction. But I did first want to demonstrate just how fucking geriatric verisimilitude is. During the lifetimes of Plato and Aristotle, both discussed the form of verisimilitude and the form of mimesis. Greek. Greek words. Greek words. In the form of mimesis. 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 Or literally, imitation of nature. The definition of this form of storytelling is essentially showing, not telling. And they weren't discussing, like, hey, we figured out that stories tend to mimic how things really happen. As much as that would get their big Greek asshole dicks hard. They were talking about it like it was already a well-established concept they are philosophizing about the nature of. You know how they philosophize about stuff like the origins of humanity? The language used is really similar. And keep in mind, these dudes are literally older than the fucking horseshoe. Verisimilitude isn't something a Redditor started thinking about ten years ago. So now I'm going to go over the history of realism, something a lot easier to cover. That's because, while sure, there was realism in stories throughout human history, if you've read like three quarters of any culture's mythology, clearly no one gave a single fuck about that. And it's the same thing with folklore, and to an extent, literature as well. Even as different styles of literature came and went over the millennia, the thing that remained extraordinarily rare was relatable, fleshed-out characters. Well before realism was the Enlightenment era in the late 1600s to 1700s that was heavily concerned with scientific, philosophical, religious, and social rationalism. This era's literature mostly dealt in shit-talking the traditional views of faith and science that's far too nonsensical and that now we figured out how humans should be. Perfectly rational science machines that argue philosophy with perfect lo- logical chains that still believes God exists, but that also he's a rational creator that made everything with a completely clear, sober mind. And, uh, this went in places. I don't particularly want to cover the socio-political consequences of this, but the reason I'm bringing this up is to introduce you to what came afterwards in Romanticism. Romantic literature in this context is literature that gave the Enlightenment the middle finger and made the very brave statement of, whoa there, fuckaroo. People have feelings and God is good and also, nature loves us. And this literary movement was ultra-romantic in the starving artist sense. They loved underground literature, aka unpublished literature, because it was closer to pure human expression. A lot of skepticism about science, religion, and industrialization was also key to this movement. While sure, it sounds nice, keep in mind that at this point in Western literature, characters fucking suck. I mean, trust me, I've read a lot of it. Both Enlightenment and Romantic literature. Almost every character fucking sucks, and I hate them. The only exception are things the Bronte sisters wrote, and Benjamin Franklin's personal writings because the son of a bitch was eccentric. But starting in the 19th century in France, people started to feel disillusioned with the Romantic writers. Why? Because they were fucking poor, and the romantics were out here stroking their ego about starving artists, god and tree good, machined and money bad. Which was not the experience of many of the people being forced to, you know, work for a living. So the writers of what would soon become realism wrote small and focused less on philosophical grandstanding, 
making that the quiet part, and more on the characters being interesting and saying clearly political things. The two earliest writers in the realistic style, oh boy, here comes some French. You guys are going to love that. Uh, were Honoré de... This is going to... Uh, Balzac? The man's last name is Balzac. Um, and Gustave Flaubert. Um, and being an English literature major, this is where my knowledge of these guys really stops, as you can tell by me not being able to pronounce their names. So, according to the internet, Honoré de Balzac, Honoré de Balzac, uh, was known for having incredibly complex characters and detailed environments they inhabited, while Gustave Flaubert, <laughs> I said that like the whitest person who have ever lived, <laughs> uh... Uh, established a narrative style of realism which hasn't changed since. These guys are a huge deal in any literature whose history doesn't include the massive hate boner for the French, which did not include America. America adopted realism in around the 1830s as it was becoming popular in France, and it became popular because America wasn't always has been a deeply political country, and already people were getting fucking exhausted by the Industrial Revolution and agrarianism. So the combination of explicitly political writing coming from characters that were farmers, miners, factory workers, and other hard labor jobs was very popular. The first adopter in America was William Dean Howells, who would go on to write The Rise of Silas Lapham, by far his most famous piece of writing, and during his entire career would critically support other writers like Mark Twain and Henry James. Speaking of Twain, he was actually the most popular realist author in America, and still regarded as a titan in the genre. In 1884, with the book Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, he was the first American author to accurately portray the language usage and style of the area. Then in 1895, Stephen Crane's Red Badge of Courage inspired others to write about their own Civil War experiences. Now, before telling you about the other side of the pond, here's some more American realists. John Steinbeck, Upton Sinclair, Jack London, and Edith Wharton. Now, if you aren't a literary or a history nerd... Those names probably don't mean a whole lot to you, but if you're either one of those, you're creaming your fucking jeans right now. But sadly, regardless of how hard England tugged that hate boner, France came first and shot a load of realism all over UK's belly. I'm not going to cut that, but that's audio I don't want coming back later. You understand me? We're not going to talk about this ever again. Uh... Not ones to be beaten, however, England retroactively called Daniel Defoe, writer of Robinson Crusoe, and Samuel Richardson, writer of Virtue Rewarded, realists, which would have started the movement in the early 1700s. But in the actual realism movement, the first of the adopters to be truly called British realist was George Eliot in 1871, with the novel Middlemarch, A Study of Provincial Life. Now, like in America, this movement fucking popped off. British public with a developing middle class caused by factory labor and other industrial revolution mistakes, more and more people became interested in realism, both to read someone going through their same experiences, but also as a pathway to write about their own lives and experiences. And uh, now here's a trio of notable British realists, George Gissing, Arnold Bennett, and George Moore. Again, the Littner just came in their freshly changed pants. Unfortunately for you realist fans, by the mid-20th century, everyone started getting real tired of realism and it kind of fizzled out. Now, this might have been helped along by America's hate boner for communism in the same time period, since 
communists and socialists loved writing realistic fiction more than hentaiists like drawing Ahigao. But like Ahigao is the hentai, our enjoyment of literature today wouldn't be the same without realism. A lot of what we covered earlier about its core traits and tenets is seen reflected in fiction today. And it's hard to find unrealistic characters nowadays, and when we do see them, we're pissed. Now, here's the reason why I went into this particular aspect of the history of realism rather than tell you about the modern movement. Because I cannot find shit. Every search term leads back to the realistic literature movement, and not really what we're talking about today. Are these things related? Yeah. Does the internet want to tell me why they give such a shit about this historically? Fuck no. What I can tell you before we move on to the current issues, though, is that my best guess is based on film. And that's because in the 1970s, there's a style of filmmaking called realism, which is basically the same thing as this brand of realism. This continues to today with a lot of films trying to appear as though they could happen in the real world. If using a good number of those boring movies, that's the first sign you're either getting old or turning into that film guy. Uh, I'm getting both, by the way. Some of those movies I love. Anyways, uh, let's get to the modern and talk some issues. Okay, so the current status of believability and realism and modern writing is really intertwined, and that's because of the first issue with these two things. People don't know what the fuck they actually mean. When someone says realistic, they don't mean literally anything we've been talking about. They mean believable. And a lot of times when people say realistic, when they mean good or relatable. And I know this sounds really pedantic and like I'm being that guy, but here's why this is an issue. In most fantasy settings, there's this pressure to be realistic. And as someone who loves the medieval period in fantasy, it's completely cool when fantasy looks realistic and follows realistic combat tactics. And most people, I mean, like Shadversy and Scalagrim, who I adore, are very good at separating being pedantic from ignoring the rules of a story. But when you take that out of combat, we start getting really, really weird about it. Now, if you run in certain communities or actively witness people react to them, the first two things people think about for some fucking reason is sexual abuse and racism. Do you know how many fantasy novels I have read where a motherfucking witch summons demons from hell using nothing but a few dirty words and crusty tea milk to fight a hero wielding a sword as big as Rhode Island and the thing people have a problem with is that he's black in a Euro-inspired location and his female friend isn't being sexually assaulted in the background? Do you know how tiring it is to see these kinds of complaints over and over again? Because guess what, fuckos? The medieval period wasn't just one long time frame of rampant murder, rape, and hating black people. That's right fucking now. That is the late industrial era. We are in the late industrial era. But the truth doesn't matter. It feels realistic to these people, and so they want it in their story. But really what they mean is that in their fucking sick worldview, they wouldn't be surprised to see sexual assault and racism in a story taking place in a world that doesn't exist. I know that's an extreme example, but I hope it gets the point across. If you confuse realism and believability, or begin to assume realism with a story that's good, what happens is that you start to substitute what you find believable as realistic, aka what you think should happen as actual reality. And look, I see some of you rolling your eyes, turn off your camera by the way, 
but I've seen this happen so many times, and so have many others. Okay. So, secondly, realism is used to mean objectivity, which this means is that what people think would be a reasonable response is realistic and therefore good, and everything else is stupid and unrealistic and shitty writing. Now, you might be thinking to yourself that this makes a whole lot of sense, and you'd be dumb and wrong. And sometimes. Usually this is vaguely accurate, like when someone in a story shouts about being out of ammunition and then without reloading fires their weapon again, or they're told they have six shots and so they fire 37 just to surprise the audience. That's bad writing and deeply unrealistic. This becomes a problem when it applies to people. Say a character goes through a traumatic breakup, so they go out and fuck like 30 people and fall asleep on their best friend's couch while eating garlic bread. And clearly they've been through some shit, but let's say you've never done that before. And by your own reality, that's never happened. So, is it realistic for you? Probably not. But because you aren't a crazy person or have a Twitter account with more than 20 pity slash simp follows, you understand that your reality isn't the only one that exists. However, when people who think realistic behavior means the objectively right behavior what they do, suddenly the garlic-fueled grief orgy, GFGO if you get it, isn't just unrealistic, it's also bad writing, and also, no one's ever done that because they wouldn't have. And for a better example, ask someone who doesn't think gay people exist to watch the She-Ra remake. Most of the time this turns into a people-can-be-sad-too-Brenda moment, but other times it turns into blocking your Uncle Kyle because you can't imagine two boys smooching. Now what these two things combine into is an atmosphere most aspiring writers want nothing to do with. They suddenly become terrified of being unrealistic and hold their plots back, over-explain, or outright just never write. Which is sad, especially for someone whose creativity is such a big part of their personality, like me. By saying that every story needs to be entirely realistic, especially when people mean believable, not only are people prodding my baby rage, but they're also making authors feel like they need to be a perfect writer before they even try. And the thing is that literally no writer that has ever existed is a perfect writer. Every story has at least a single plot hole, a single moment of absolute bullshit, some confusing language or a narrative slip. And usually editors can find these, but they don't have the time that you fucking degenerates do to comb through every single word of every single sentence of every single paragraph on every single page of a two to five hundred page book to find every time they kept in an extra comma where it didn't belong. Stop that shit before I send you my scripts and give you an aneurysm. And seeing how unreasonable this side of the argument can be will very reasonably put you on the exact opposite side of them. So if you know anything about American politics over, say, the last uh, 275 years, you'd know that this is not a great response. Because the other side brings into play the classic fuck you, fiction is a believable anyways argument. Now, okay, pause for a moment. Like, pause the podcast and think about that for anywhere between 10 seconds and the rest of the day. Was the one fucking core thing we said about believability in the beginning. Right. Every story has it. Every story, in one way or another, is believable. People throw this argument out in a lot of circumstances. When they don't want to agree with you that it's really unbelievable for a character to straight up break the rules of the world, to it being unrealistic, for anyone to fuck that character, to telling people that this particular plot point might have been better left out since it seems to be pro-domestic abuse. But they can't think of any other response and don't want to lose. Or my favorite way to give me baby rage, hotter than the sun, and more intense than Christ Almighty himself, gamer screeching hard enough to start Armageddon. But it isn't real, so who cares? I even just saying that inexplicably makes my blood boil my dick hard. 
As a side note, you better keep that in mind if you say that to me in person. And while I can't explain why, I can explain why that argument is bad. Not only because of my early, earlier antics with unbelievable story examples, but it's because literally to relate to a single part of a story, you need to trick your brain into believing it's happening or has happened. Meaning that whatever you're watching, no matter how nutty, draws you in because your stupid fucking monkey brain thinks it's learning something. Now, realism isn't really necessary for a good or believable story. I honestly think that when I see that in action, you can watch about half of the shojin or shoujo anime that's ever existed. And shit just kind of happens because it's cool and fun. Like, a realistic shonen fight is done in a half a second because everyone just pulls out their ultra-cool finishing move that has their lifespan, but grants them the strength to bang your collective moms while killing Satan with their pinky finger. Or the first time the hero gets stabbed or hit in the head or impaled or their life drained, they literally just fucking die. Instead of the duty they have their friends and to make sure that their will they won't they love interest, he's comedically seen naked, doesn't cry anymore, letting them keep going and overpower the villain. But what realism brings is that it helps to ground a story and is a really cheap and sneaky way to make the audience more invested and believe even harder. Saying fiction isn't realistic is like saying, who needs drugs when I have Jesus? Like, sure, you could say that, but having drugs does make life more interesting. Now, before we move on to why any of this shit matters, there's one final point I want to make. It's the really weird relationship between fiction and this misplaced idea of realistic right now. Because over the last few decades, it seems like audience have been braying for more realistic stories, which, if you've been on the internet and paying attention to the dark, jizz-stained corner of the internet, as the online writing community. You've also probably seen this. But even as the brand gets louder and louder, increasingly unrealistic stories have become ex- exponentially more popular. Looking at the highest grossing movies in 2000, you have How the Grinch Stole Christmas, which is fucking number one, by the way, Mission Impossible 2, Gladiator, Perfect Storm, and Meet the Parents. Out of those, the only movie not even vaguely trying to be realistic, let's be honest, sensible, is how the Grinch stole Christmas. The rest are really trying to kind of take place in the real world, if not telling stories that very much could have happened. Now, compare this to 2022. Top Gun Maverick, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, Jurassic World Dominion, The Batman and the Minions, The Rise of Gru. Now, of this list, literally only Top Gun is arguably realistic. Even The Batman, which is the most realistic good Batman movie we've ever had, isn't that realistic, is it? And obviously, a kid's movie, a bad Marvel movie, and Chris Pratt's Dances with Dinosaurs aren't realistic. And this is compared to all-time grossing being Avatar, Avengers Endgame, Titanic, Star Wars Episode Seven, and Avengers Infinity War. All but one of them being unrealistic, and Titanic being realistic fiction. Now, do I know why this is? No. But I really suspect that a huge population of people who say they want realism don't know what they're talking about or are lying, considering movies like The Black Klansman and Irish and The Irishman, which I like both of those, are nowhere near popular. Anyway, let's get to why you should care as much as I do. By now, you've probably already had a pretty firm idea of why these concepts are important. I mean, that's more or less what we've been doing this entire episode. Let's summarize some points and kind of walk through both why it would matter in a story and a larger social level. 
starting with why having believability matters. But really simply, writing or telling a good story is built on your audience believing your bullshit. A good story is believable not because cool stuff happens, but because your audience cares cool stuff is happening. Believability is a requirement when you're telling a story because our filthy little horny monkey brains love to be taught lessons and learn things. And the brain kicks in a learning mode when someone tells us a story. Now if the narrator of that story, aka the storyteller, turns out to be a filthy fucking liar because they break their own rules or are speaking nonsense, our brains recognize as bullshit and ignore them. We lose investment. So when you write a story, you need to have things that are consistent and seem like it could happen to be the gateway drug. That's why a lot of stories start simply. You almost never see a story with the badass hero towering over the series villain with their weapon raised and the narrator telling you this is a big moral choice. Because none of this makes any fucking sense and we don't care. Now, what happens if your story lacks believability? Well, it doesn't get read or listened to. It doesn't matter how cool it gets. If your audience is uninterested from the beginning, they won't give a single fuck. And why is that? Because again, somewhere deep in our brains, when we hear a story, we think it's true. We aren't hearing schizophrenic whispers from a brain that needs help. We're listening to a genius give us a brief portal into another world. But if from the beginning it sounds like a complete lie, no one wants to hear your garbage. Your story won't matter and people won't care. This includes if you abandon or break believability, you rip... This includes if you abandon or break believability, you rip people out of their suspension disbelief. Sure, they can buy the dragons exist and breathe fire and have very high-powered magic, but you took a lot of time to make sure that they knew the dragons can only take off from a high place, and now you have Boxrex, the dragon lord, just taking off from the ground like fucking nothing? For good amount of readers, this will completely shatter their trust in you. Or, if at the ending of your very long-running TV show, you remove all believability by robbing your characters of both interests and character arcs and their personalities in order to make sure you turn your show's legacy into a horrific train accident between the good engine flop and the passenger engine nerd rage so you can work on Star Wars. But now, why does believability matter on a social level? Well, in two ways, and one of them is very personal. The first, less personal reason is because stories provide excellent entertainment and education. It's the primary way to entertain people throughout human history, and probably will be until we all kill each other with bonds beyond our comprehension or ability to use responsibly. Stories have been used by humans to teach ethical and moral lessons, values, and even knowledge for hundreds of thousands of years. Stories keep our filthy fucking ape brains busy while we try to be responsible adults and pay taxes or go grocery shopping or do laundry. Or whatever responsible adults do. I have an English degree and a podcast. And that joke is the other reason. I ain't kinda. Making good stories means that you help everyone that makes good stories. You be the gateway drug and the soft spot in someone's heart that puts on the path to reading. Making third edition D&D characters with my dad and reading John Flanagan's Rangers Apprentice books Moving on the path I'm on today, and both of those things still have a very special place in my heart. I love to see the nerd and art communities grow, and I think everyone has a subject that they can be an artist or a nerd about. When we make believable stories as members of those communities, we push each other to give even a modicum of a crumb of a fuck about doing a good job. We grow the community and get taken more seriously. But, you know, that's more for the soapbox section. Now for the big bad boy of this arc, realism. I've talked mostly literary realism today because when you get real close to it, realism describes itself. It's the practice of writing things that are real into your story. So why does realism matter? 
because it's probably the best and easiest tool you have in your entire writing toolbox next to your horniness and desire for sweet, sweet death. Realism isn't just, this happened during World War II, as stuff like metallurgy, biology, injuries, and nature. Does your knight character survive what would normally be a mortal blow from a sword because he's wearing a breastplate? That's realism. The great thing about realism is that you don't have to explain shit if you got it correct. If you're right or it just looks right, people will go, oh yeah, that would actually happen, which is awesome. Now, when you include realism, if you got your facts straight or straighter than your audience, then it also increases believability. And the craziest thing is you don't have to do a fuck ton of research. Look around you. What things would realistically be in your story? Boom. Include it and people begin to relate. It's a great tool. Now, for when you don't include anything realistic, and if you choose to do this, you are very clearly into BDSM and are a super bottom that likes pain because there's no other reason to artistically add yourself like this. But for argument's sake, what does a non-realistic story look like? In short, long and full of explanations. Note that this doesn't mean boring, it just means you really have to try to create new stuff for literally everything and explain why you did that in character as the narrator. The only examples I can really think of that I'm even capable of describing verbally are super magitacked out society and fantasy settings. Would a lighthouse work better than an obelisk that transmits information about the coastline directly into your captain's head? Arguably, but it's both unrealistic and fucking awesome. Does your Da Vinci-inspired Rube Goldberg contraption used by your adventure character the fight unrealistic as hell and would probably be literally the worst thing ever in real life? Yeah, but it's awesome and fires cannonballs and lets you focus on hitting on some fine, fine honeys while the machine stops the bandits approaching you from behind trying to knife you in the ass. And some science fantasy stories also take this approach with, like, FTL travel and crystal spheres. Does the spell jammer crystal sphere make any sense when you think too hard? Absolutely not, but it's still cool. See what I mean? What does this mean for the society we live in? Aren't we going to think of the children and how much they need to be reminded of how good-slash-bad society and the world is and need to escape from-slash-to fantasy land? Well, this is something we largely covered earlier. The reason why realism is important is because it's so incredibly useful, it can also be kind of dangerous in the wrong hands. Realism, when handled well, creates very immersive stories and can also, importantly, be used in genres like satire to make a point about very important topics. But when used wrong can be used for some really god-awful hot takes and even shittier stories. For example, if we take realistic to mean good, that means all you need to add to a shitty story to make it good is make it more realistic. So the movies Cats and Super Babies would be good movies if only they were actual fucking cats and babies. If you've seen either or both movies, you know this is absolutely wrong. On the more sinister side, say you're writing a fantasy story and also hate gay people. I know. Unlikely, considering you also probably have a degree in art, but imagine in order to get your point across, you write a fantasy story and attach all the gay stuff to the least realistic parts of your story. Well, now, whether intentional in this example or not, you're associating unrealistic and gay to the audience. And sure, most of the time this is due to sloppy writing, but a lot of people write like this intentionally, associating the people they don't like with the unrealistic parts of their story that otherwise contains plenty of realism makes the insinuation that those people are also either unrealistic or don't exist. Which might explain why a lot of fantasy shows meant to display or appeal to gay people go light on the realism. Really, with both of these concepts, what they mean in your story and the world at large is the core of writing fiction. 
sure you're writing your silly little book about these funny little elves or space wizards, but you're injecting yourself into it in both the dirtiest, sexiest way possible and morally and ethically. Because we as humans learn better from stories, you'll have an impact on the people who absorb your content. So you have a responsibility as a writer to ensure that you truly mean what you say and you aren't creating carelessly or out of pure spite. And another core of being a writer is making your own world. Very rarely do writers, even writing in pre-established universes, not shake up the status quo. How believable and realistically you approach your story will heavily influence both the reception of the story and what kind of story it is in the first place. To not ask those questions before you start writing is being kind of dumb about this. But before I scare you out of writing, let's transition it over to how to apply this. Now most of the time, the application section is going to be dedicated to how to use the shit-sucking scum-of-the-earth tropes, or making sure your story doesn't accidentally misuse it. But this time, since any story will have it, this is more like a writing advice section. I understand it's scary being told that these things are great tools or requirements and can, can be easily mishandled or turn your story to a sticky lump of butthole candy, but using both these tools can be really easy if you stay on top of your story while you write it. So, how do you make a believable story? Begin by knowing what it is you want to say and say it. Don't chicken out because you're afraid of breaking something. Are you trying to write a comedic graphic novel that slowly turns tragic and ends with the main character dying along a battlefield because all their friends die as a commentary of war? Then at the end of the story, kill the fucking character and keep him dead. You know why? Because if you don't kill them, your audience won't think, Oh wow, thank god they're safe. They'll go, what the fuck? You let fucking Kyle live while the cute nerdy lesbian that's totally my wife who got her fucking spine turned to wet spaghetti? Fuck you, writer. And now they aren't paying attention to what you were trying to say. They aren't mad at the message, they're mad at you. Secondly, you need to keep the rules of your world straight. Which means once you've written a rule and your audience knows about it, it's set in stone. That is a hard and fast rule of reality in your world. Is a maximum level of a spell 12? Then no one can ever cast a 13th level spell because your audience will immediately stop believing them. And it's not like just on the rules of magic. They'll see right through you and that you realize you've written yourself into a corner or being a filthy fucking liar to save that one character you want to be real so you can fuck them. They'll start to, at the very least, question every other rule, if not abandon them entirely and snap back to reality, oh, there goes gravity, their ass back into realizing they're reading a book or crying over animated characters that never existed. At that point, you've lost the audience. They don't care anymore. Now, the other part of believability in your writing is getting your audience engaged and keeping them engaged. Well, sure, this sounds like a big ask. Remember that unless you're clockwork oranging your audience, they want to be there. So you really just have to not directly get in their way. And there are five ways to not cockblock yourself that are most prominent. First, focus on concrete details. This doesn't mean tell the reader the exact dimensions of every piece of furniture in the room, but it does mean to tell them that it's made of oak wood or that it looks like soft chocolate. Describe where the characters are and who they are without going into dry author speak of plainly describing them by eye color and hair and stuff. Make sure there's something for the readers to really grip, like while you put your hair up to take a doggy. Second, focus on emotions that are both true to your characters and relatable to your audience. Now this does mean that you have to understand the audience you're going for. Going for the classic sad young adult audience, 
make one or some of the characters disillusioned and sad, because for young adults it's not relatable but believable that someone their age is sad. Or are you making a show for young teen boys? To make a show in protagonist only thinks about food, fighting, and fucking titties. When a character has an emotional moment, stay true to who they are as a person. Like, if you create a character that has a sunny disposition, and they're suddenly an asshole for literally no reason, and no one in the story ever questions it, that's bad writing. But that character has just gotten jackhammer pounded by life gorilla penis, and they're teary-eyed by optimistic, this might not be your reader's experience, but they'll accept that because you spent so long reinforcing that this character is a happy person. Also, by the way, as an excellent gut punch moment. Uh, third, incorporate your weird shit in with some normal shit at the same time. This basically lets your audience ease into it. Uh, this is the same thing we talked about earlier with not dropping your audience into the big emotional moment before the main character and main villain and expect them to be emotional about it. You have to start with some believable things that people expect for the kind of story you're writing and then gradually introduce them to some weird concepts. An example of this is the Noble Dead Saga, one of my favorite fantasy series. At the beginning of the first book, you aren't thrown into this massive cosmic-scale plot about the end times and undead controlling the Earth before being consumed by a tropic star god. No, you start with Liesl and Magri running a scam, pretending to be a vampire and a vampire hunter, respectively. Now, we understand the concept of scam, we understand the idea of vampire hunters, and we understand Liesl is an elf. We package all of that with the information that elves can move so fast as to be mistaken for supernatural monsters, and that vampires both exist and are common enough problem for the scam to work. And because we've packaged this, the normal shit now includes that vampires exist and elves are fast, which comes in handy later when Magari finds out she's half-vampire. Then when that becomes normal to the story, we learn more weird shit. See, show your audience something they understand and package it with some nutter shit and they'll be more likely to believe you. Fourth, stay consistent and don't make mistakes with real-world things or things you've made up. This is what I talked about at the beginning of the section, but packaged differently. When you make something up or include a real thing, it becomes canon. And if you ignore the rule or get it wrong, your audience will know, and boom, again, they won't trust you anymore. Now, this actually isn't the case for all audiences. Fantasy audiences in general are more willing to accept something that I've seen Shadversary, you know, an old favorite of mine, referred to as lightsabering. Basically, this practice in fantasy and sci-fi is to make armor aesthetic and not practical. I mean, only pedantic assholes like me or the entire YouTube content creator community of overanalyzing media will really raise a stink about that, but your audience might not unless you specifically show the armor working sometimes and not other times when it should. But basically, you don't need to abide by reality, but, you know, if you do, you need to abide by reality for everyone. Make sure everyone's following the same rules. And fifth, when you do break the rules, address it. It's your world, you can break the rules. And while this sounds like it invalidates everything above, trust me, it doesn't. Because what this means is that you're allowed to have your own set of rules written out and give the audience a different set of rules to set up surprises, an unreliable narrator, fantastic breakthroughs in magic or science, or characters making discoveries at the same time as the audience. You're allowed to say, for example, there are no aliens on Earth, and then reveal, oh fuck, there's totally aliens, if your intention was to do that, or if your audience thinks you're in you intend to do that in the first place. Using the Sunny character from earlier, if you if you explain them being an asshole by having a character nod sagely and go, ah, post-diarrhea stomach pain, we've learned something about the Sunny character. They lash out when they're in pain and uncomfortable for something that only affects them. 
We also learned about the character that said it. So in that one change, we saved, we saved a really shitty moment of writing and made it interesting. Also, we've covered it in shit. Whenever you tell or show the audience you're breaking the rules, explain to them that everyone else is just as surprised as they are. And suddenly they're happier with it than if you never said a thing. Now, for realism, while a lot that is said about believability also applies to realism, especially with those five hints, there are some other minor things that can help you out with your realism. Firstly, while I personally really love having realistic stuff in my fiction, like armor, weapons, medicine, and even implications about species based on their physiology, don't stroke your dick about it. If you get too horny about your own realism and describe in granular detail why exactly it makes biological sense for your orc fetish bait female character to have giga honker and a 12-pack, people are going to think you're insecure about it. Or worse, they're going to get bored or weirded out and stop reading. Right, sure, it can be fun to describe the design of a sword and be like, this is why it's perfectly shaped and balanced for this specific use by this specific person. The people that really care don't need that much information to obsessively dig into every dirty little nook and crevice of your naughty writer's brain for lore snippets on why things are the way they are. Secondly, don't go overboard. This is fiction for a reason, and if you bait an audience with a fantasy adventure romp and then show them literally just a dude farming for 400 pages, people will hate it no matter how realistic it is. Having realism is like medicine. Make your story a lot better and healthier, but if you overdo it, your story is going to die. And when you can't find some speck of information in your research tell you the exact specifications of a certain thing, just make it the fuck up. Within reason, obviously, but your audience probably gets less of a shit than Grandma Without Prunes than the dimensions of your galleon-sized zeppelin piloted by big-dick oily muscle men are a few feet off. As long as it seems realistic, your audience will go for it, so don't hurt your soggy little thinking machine trying to research something pedantic while it stops you from writing. And finally, when you do choose to include a heavy helping of realistic stuff in your story, make sure you think through the implications. Don't do half measures because you're trying to use an easy and cheap tool. Including stuff in real life says things about your setting, even if you don't want it to. Does your fantasy setting have revolvers? Then why has no one ever thought to make a rotary gun? Does your setting include painstaking detail about farming and crops and food outputs? Then why the fuck do you have an entire ice kingdom that doesn't trade or raid? The benefits of realism that you can tell your audience to touch grass and they'll thank you for it. The drawback is that you also have to touch grass or else the audience will see that you literally have no idea what you're talking about. And uh, that's basically what I have as far as advice goes. Uh, let's go over to my soapbox corner before I let you go back to your family. They paid the ransom. I'm kidding, they didn't. Anyways, after doing all this research and all this talking, has my opinion about this really changed? Yes and no. I, I used to fall into that trap that believability and realism were kind of the same thing and that you could use them interchangeably. That realistic story was a good one. But I held these beliefs while loving superhero media, fantasy books, anime, D&D, and goddamn Warhammer. But I don't like reading Tom Clancy or about half of realistic fiction. I had so much evidence that realism doesn't by definition mean good, especially for my taste, but I was huffing my own farts thinking I had a gigabrain take. Do I think that realism is any less important? I, no, not really. I still like it when a story has some elements drawn from the real world, like kind of realistic weapon anatomy, really pedantic and deeply researched information about how creatures work, and detailed setting bibles about a mile thick. I, I still try to write things that at least on the surface look pretty realistic. 
And I think as a tool, it'd be kind of dumb not to use it when it makes your life so much easier. Of course, we always have stories where being super unrealistic is the point, or that realism doesn't matter as much as the rule of cool or rules of the genre. That's really the biggest thing I've actually forced myself to learn, like, you know, dad helping with math homework. Not everything should be realistic, and there's going to be some sort of baseline assumption is just, hold on to your nuts, we're taking a fucking ride. And that's fine. Do I think any different about believability? Oh, not at all. I thought it was important before, and I still do. I think more than realism, you always need to strive to make your stories believable. Anything less would just be fucking lazy and poorly executed. There shouldn't be a story setting out to be unbelievable. That's what you're trying to do. Get your head out of your own fart stank. You aren't doing something no one's ever done before. You're doing something writers know is a bad idea. And all that being said, I still love to pick apart stories and find where they break. I, I love to think about the implications a story has just by saying what it says. And I think that's where a lot of people get confused. People that dig in these nooks and crevices online and have hundreds of thousands of millions of views talking about where fiction breaks or, the, or what's realistic aren't saying that every story needs to be realistic. What they're saying is what I'm saying. When you consume media, it's okay to buy into the world, but pay attention to it and don't just shut your brain off. And that's the way they, and I, enjoy stories are by dissecting every little aspect, especially the things the writer's too busy enjoying their lives to even think about. But anyways, let's wrap this episode up for you. Alright, and there you have it, folks. Um, I know I didn't exactly get as angry on this episode like I promise I will in future episodes, but I want to have this in place as a hardcore own on people complaining I'm too pedantic and care too much during future episodes. Half kidding. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast feed, like it, leave a review, whatever else it is you can do on your platform of choice. Send me an email at waytatpods at gmail.com. That's W-A-Y-T-A-T-P-O-D-S. Uh, with questions, concerns, opinions, words of encouragement, words of discouragement, not really, I'll find you. Topic suggestions, offerings to your new god, dummy mommy applications, um, actually send anything else you want to talk about. Remember to check out my other podcast, Waytat, where I talk about terrible things happening in real life and get very, very angry pretty often. Uh, also, my mom tells me I'm funnier on that one. Alright, have a good night, have fun, keep writing, and remember, keep it realish. This has been Why Are You Talking About This Nerd Edition. I've been your host, William. Good night.